You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for listening once again. It is Monday the 12th of December. And here in the UK and in much of Ireland, we are grinding to a halt. There is no turf racing today, Monday at Market Raisin or Nor Plumpton. There is nothing at Catrick nor Wincanton tomorrow. Newbury has just abandoned on Wednesday. And Ascot have just released a tweet about their fixture on Friday and Saturday. There was racing yesterday at Cork. They just about flew the flag over the weekend. And we did see a very impressive performance at Short Odds from Anegu men. And we saw Henry de Bromhead uh, with two very impressive young horses winning in fine style. After which, de Bromhead rather threw oil into the water as regards his stable companion, Honeysuckle, as I welcome in Racing Post uh, writer Lee Motter's head. Lee, that in a moment. First of all, just tell us what Ascot are saying about the prospects of racing this weekend, Friday, Saturday. The going report that came out from Ascot this morning, the read good, good to firm in places, frozen in places. Uh, frost covers were deployed on shaded areas of the home straight and takeoff landings on Wednesday. Ascot put out a tweet as well this morning, I think to try and keep the wider public informed of where things are. The tweet said, we are working hard to ensure the Howden Christmas racing weekend can go ahead. The recent cold weather and forecast is challenging though, and the track is currently frozen in places with a light covering of snow. Further updates will be provided throughout the week. I think if by some miracle, Nick, Ascot was able to race, we'd be at the moment racing on on ground quicker than it was at the controversial November meeting because we've officially got good to firm in places. But I think it has to be said that the the chances of Ascot racing on Friday and Saturday, I think at this stage, look questionable if you're being positive. The forecast for this week remains bitterly cold across the the country. Um, and I think if I was a if I was a punting man, Nick, I'd say the chances of honeysuckle running in the champion hurdle are greater than Ascot racing on Friday and Saturday. But I very much hope for positive outcomes in both scenarios. So on that point, Lee, was Honeysuckle's trainer Henry de Bromhead just winding us up a bit when he said on Racing TV yesterday that he was seriously considering taking the dual champion hurdle heroine back to the mayor's hurdle in March? What, of course, we don't know at the minute is how serious an option connections really think it is um kenny alexander was saying after fairy house he would be minded to do whatever henry de bromhead decided to do he was even suggesting at that point if they wanted to drop stumps if any thought it was best to drop stumps at that point they would do so i think kenny will listen to to henry i imagine that what happens in the irish champion hurdle nick will determine everything if honeysuckle does what honeysuckle has done in previous runnings of the irish champion hurdle i think it is inconceivable that she won't go for the champion hurdle regardless of how impressive constitution hill is at kempton over christmas however if she's beaten in the irish champion hurdle i guess that does put a different shade on 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 this whole story one might wonder whether the mayor's hurdle will become a a more serious option for her 
But in the wider, in the wider sense, Nick, I think it would be extremely regrettable and disappointing if Honeysuckle didn't run in the champion hurdle or if she, if she ran in the mayor's hurdle in preference. I hope Henry was slightly teasing yeah. uh, yesterday. It possibly was. I, I think he might I think he might have been a little bit. I think he might have been playing a little bit because there was a just a hint of a smile across his face yeah. before he before he just dropped that. And he's he's nobody's fool. He knows exactly the kind of reaction. <laughs> That is, that is, he got that is, it. He got it. Oh, he got it. He got it exactly. We've seen the hole and walked straight into it. And the other thing is, if those close to her and others who who are you know huge fans of the horse, ourselves included, are going to say, "Well, no, she's legit. She's got an amazing career. It's pretty much unimpeachable until the other day." Then you can't you can't with the same breath then say, "But we're we going to run in the lesser race." Did you see an Ergerman yesterday? And were you impressed, even though he only had to really count around to beat inferiors, particularly as his main market rival, rather disappointed? Yeah, I mean, I think he he did what you would have expected him to do. Uh, generally, his jumping um, was 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 very impressive. He put in some great leap to some of the fences. Um, a bit dicey too. I've gotten a bit shorter, gotten a bit closer to that one. And I don't know Willie Mullins was expressing a view after the race about one point when he just thought maybe the horse was thinking a little bit about what he was doing. Um, but I thought overall it was exactly what you'd want to see. Um, he is an immensely talented horse. Um, and there was, I think, if you were someone who's, who's backed him for the champion chase. Antipost, I don't think you'd have gone away from that race being any less confident. And uh, elsewhere on the card at Cork yesterday, Henry de Bromhead um, had two very impressive winners, the three-mile novice hurdle winner, Hidden Valley Lake, and Arctic Brazil, the maiden hurdle winner, who I thought made a, a particularly striking impression. And no matter whether horses are uh, bred and owned in Britain, as Arctic Brazil uh, is, they still manage to find their way to the top Irish trainers. Yeah, and that is, I think, the, the one of the big problems for British jump racing at the moment, or the British jump trainers at the moment, is that they just are losing um, the top horses from the top British owners. As you say, this is not a, a new thing. It's not that the Irish trainers are any better than the British trainers, but if you are getting the best raw material, you're always going to have a better chance of delivering success and you get a steamroller effect. What are you dreaming of on a cold day like this? Not remaining in the UK, that's for sure. But Derby and champion stakes winning rider Richard Kingscote, who's had the season of his life, not resting on his laurels, he's off for sunnier climbs, as he announced at the back end of last week. Richard, where are you off to and why? Yeah, so I'm lucky enough to be um, offered to go to Gulfstream Park for a bit um, so I'm going to look to do a month over there mid-January um, looking forward to it so what's what's prompted the decision there's a whole raft of options for for riders in the in the winter now both domestically and internationally what's what's prompted this one yeah I think I was quite late um, if I wanted to do um, quite a lot of the stints were all sorted so when this this opened up i i was you know jumped it really and um it'd be it'd be good for me for my riding and for me i think so like you say it's, it's cold over here meetings are getting abandoned um 
So, so yeah, I think it would be it'd be a, a good a good shot. When you say it'd be it'd be good for your riding, what what are you trying to to develop? Do you think? Well, firstly, I let myself get a bit fat the last couple of years, so I think it's a good incentive to get my weight down and get on point for next year because obviously they ride light in America, which I can do, um, but I need to get myself sorted. Um, and then also, it's a different style of riding, so I think it, it, it can't do me any harm to learn something new and um, open up open up a new avenue to my riding. So physical fitness and mental sharpness combined. I must say, I never looked at you last year and thought, oh, look, there's there's Fatty Kingscoat. He's put on a bit of timber. But I, I guess when you're having to do lightweights every day, then your your own self-scrutiny is, is incredibly intense. Yeah, I sort of just let myself get a little bit heavier than I'd ideally like, um, which has already come, come down nicely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's more of a personal preference than, than anything else. I was fit. Uh, it's just something I want to do for next year. So I'm, you know, at peak, peak levels. And given the fact that you've ridden high-profile horses in big races who are likely at some point to have international targets, is that informing it to some extent as well, just trying to get your eye in on a, on a global stage? I don't think it can do me any harm at all to learn something new. And I've been lucky enough to go to some Breeders' Cups and um, you know, it's, it's just more, more doors and um, trying to push my way through a few. Excellent. Well, I hope the trainers are already getting in touch. You, you sort of the announcement half came out back end of last week. Have you have you had a bit of interest? Yeah, luckily enough, you know, I already had a trainer message me, email me, and um, you know, the guys at Gulfstream have been really helpful, um, looking to get me an agent sorted and trying to get me out there, which is which is great, and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, they'll be lucky to have you, Richard. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Richard Kingscote off to sunnier climbs, and frankly, who can blame him? And with the prospect of very little racing over the next few days, maybe the next couple of weeks, uh, that will only serve to intensify areas of, of horse racing debate. Top of the list at the moment, unsurprisingly, the whip reforms, which we spoke about on the podcast last week, uh, hosted a lengthy debate about this on my Sunday programme on Racing TV yesterday, which included jockey Paddy Brennan, who added his voice to the many voices who are dissatisfied with the rules that are being brought in and when they're being brought in just before Cheltenham, uh, citing an insufficient betting in period and a few jockeys now suggesting that their own consultation along the way was inadequate. Lee, your colleague in the Racing Post today, Jonathan Harding, has called for a stronger voice from the Professional Jockeys Association. However, it has to be stated that uh, its own constituent members don't appear to be as one on this issue. Uh, as I've mentioned many times, and you'll be sick of by now, I was on the steering group. It was who put forward suggestions to the BHA board for the modification of whip regulations so lee you've been away for a little bit what are your what are your observations on this we know what what the new rules are but what's playing out now i think what's interesting nick is that this is happening now we are in in mid-december these revised rules were announced in july that there's a long time between july and december and i think most people regardless of where you stand on these revised rules, 
should find it frustrating that these voices are speaking up now and not in July or indeed when the process was was ongoing. I know you you were on the on the on the group that that, that came together to, to 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 look at the the situation, and also on that group were Tom Scudamore and PJ McDonald. PJ is the joint president of the the Professional Jockeys Association. I was just looking back at my, my my emails, Nick, from from the middle of July, and when the revised rules came out, the PJA put out a a press release in which they made clear that they were part of this open consultation process. Um, the the press release said that PJ have subsequently been skillfully represented on the steering group by Tom Scudamore and PJ McDonald, two highly experienced and well-respected jockeys. Both gave up an enormous amount of their own time in recent months to help maintain the views and experience of UK licensed professional jockeys. So in, in that sense, jockeys have been consulted in this process. They were part of this process. You'd imagine that there was constant dialogue between PJ Tom and Tom and their, their colleagues. In that press release, Tom Scudamore um, said the steering group consisted of wide-ranging figures, both from within the equestrian industries and outside. I think the recommendations put forward are welcome and important for the future of British racing. PJ said, after lengthy discussion and debate between all members of the group, I believe we have found a sensible outcome. Jockey should have a clear understanding of the new rules and potential penalties. Um, the PJ, in general terms, was supportive, or be saying that jockeys would take some time for these rules to bed in. So, for me, Nick, what is frustrating is that we are in December now, just before these rules are about to be announced, and a number of jockeys have clearly got um, whipped up into uh, a feeling of, of, of anger about these rules, and it's almost as if that what, what happened in July didn't happen and the consultation process before it didn't happen and that there weren't two serious senior jockeys represented in that consultation process you know surely the time to express these views was back in July uh, in August or even you know during that process when Tom and PJ were representing their members now clearly you're not always going to get everybody within a constitution group of the same opinion. Not every journalist will feel the same about every issue, including the whip. But I think what this highlights in a wider sense is the, the difficulty of racing politics whereby you are dealing with a representative body. We've had this before with trainers, with the National Trainers Federation, where in the past the NTF has come to an agreed position on something or seemingly come to an agreed position on something and then a few senior members of the training fraternity express a different view and everything changes. And seemingly we've had this again here. The PGA has come to an agreed position on something, but now senior members within the PGA are talking up and that changes. It just highlights that within, within British horse racing, the difficulty of getting things done and of making decisions and making progress is not simply the fact that you have to get race courses to agree with participants but you have to get participants to agree with themselves and to come to an agreed position on which they can all agree to go forward. It's frustrating, but I think in some ways what we've had here is just a small example of the wider problem of trying to make change in British racing. Well, quite an interesting single lot coming from the French-based online auction house Octave. 
this week. Just to tell me a little bit more, uh, Jacob Pritchard-Webb is on the line there, UK representative, and he's been one of the people instrumental in developing this this project. Jacob, what do we got to look forward to this week? Just just one single lot, but you reckon it could in, interest a UK audience? Yeah, hi, Nick. Yeah, we have uh, one of our flash sales coming up for our final sale of the year. Uh, this is where one of the the owners in France kind of suggest to us that they'd like their horse sold as soon as possible. So um, we get that done. And, and this horse was put up online seven days ago with, with the, the look to sell uh, this Wednesday at uh, five o'clock the UK time. Um, he's a lovely four-year-old gelding by Caractar, who is the sire of Tom George's Group 1 horse from a couple of weeks ago, Ile Francais. The horse is called Icarac. He's a maiden still over hurdles. He's ran nine times with two wins over fences. Um, the last time at Ortoy, over two miles six. And he looks a great big staying chaser for the future. Um, he's got a handicap rating as well of, a, of 126. So, you know, if you, you could guard that really and, and next winter almost look at a, at a nice handicap uh, anywhere from two, two, two and a half miles to potentially even, even three. You know, you, you could throw him in in something like the Paddy Power off bottom weight, for example. Now, you are have been principally an online auction house so far, but just give me a, a few details. The first live sale took place this year. Yeah, so in August we held our first auction at at our base. Uh, Harris to Rouge Terre, which is about half an hour away from Argentan racecourse. Uh, we we had 120 national hunt horses sold, and this is really an ongoing development by the owners who who have been ha- having a a trotting sale for the past six years, which has just grown and expanded. So they thought, well, as we're selling national hunt horses, we'd we'd have a live one of that, and it consisted mostly of two year olds, obviously for the. For the French market and, and with three-year-old races in England growing, um, it, we thought it was a good idea and we had yearlings and broodmares as well and um, one wild card lot which topped topped the sale, uh, a three-year-old who won his bumper called Jackpot de Choisil, who's now with John McConnell um, and he was the sale topper at 200,000. I did see he had an entry at Cheltenham the other day so they obviously think a lot of him. Um, but it was a really successful sale uh, with with a turnover of 1.4 million. Well, you heard the name uh, Ile Francais mentioned there. Ile Francais has been a great success story for Tom George from his satellite yard in France that's being run by his his son, Noel. Uh, when he won the grade one at Otoy just a couple of weeks ago, jockey James Reevely was in raptures about the horse and he's only a four-year-old. So, so exciting and, and a great project. Um, Tom, just tell us how all this came together. Um, yeah, so it's been a long sort of work process. So Noel went to France three years ago. Um, we've had a lot of runners there over the last 10 years. Um, and so we now need to take it to the next step. He's got to learn to speak the language and get the trainer's license there. So it's rather than just operating in one country, plans been for the last few years to have a yard in both countries, which you have to have a full trainer's license over there to do so. To get that, you've got to speak the language and pass the exam. So we're near enough there now. It's been a long old process, but starting to show the rewards, and we're getting some really nice new French horses um, joining us over there, and um, a lot of French owners, and it's brought in a whole different avenue of people. And Ile Francais is one of the horses that arrived amongst them all. 
we all know it's very difficult to source horses of this caliber wherever you're trying to train in the world. How did you get him? So the t- main reason behind Edo Francais is that he's bred by one of the biggest breeders in France, Nicolas Lajeunesse and his family, and um, he has that, re- that name for a very good reason, and he was very passionate about him staying in France and also racing in England. And the opportunity arose in Richard Calvin Hughes, who we all know is a big owner in England and also a very big breeder. He also had the passion as well. So we thought it would be a good combination to join forces and the horse would be racing in France and England and they could enjoy the experience together. And so what everybody in England wants to know is when's he likely to, to come here? He's, he's looking such an exciting prospect. He is only four. Uh, and if he, if he does come, what sort of races might he come for? Well, he obviously is an unbelievably exciting horse. Um, he's got everything ahead of him. But we've actually made no final plans or decisions when he's going to um, reappear in England on a race course. He's got so many different options. He's already schooled over fences in France. Um, he obviously jumps hurdles like unbelievably well. I think the one thing we, everyone has decided, he won't appear in a hurdle race in England. That probably the backward step the way he jumps. Um, and very much hope is we've got to sort of build back down from some of the bigger days in England and France and so where it fits in with him, his owners and um, but I suppose he's just got to be able to progress the way we want him to in both countries rather than just one. And, and this sort of reminds me, it's a bit of a throwback to some of the days of, of the early Francois Dumens and Guillaume Macaires when they were coming over and, and winning novice chases here with, with very young but very experienced French horses. Yeah, I mean, I was privileged or lucky enough to work for Francois Dumas uh, for quite a long time. I was there in the days of the fellow, Uccello. I saw all these different types of horses coming to England. And it's important you get their preparation right, that they some of them adapted to England and some of them don't. I think Ile Francais, there's absolutely no reason why he won't adapt. But we just got to be careful about when he runs over fences in France. And he's got to learn about the English style of fences as well. So there's all these different sort of things to put into the mix um but he's obviously noel understands by english racing james reevely does as well and um so i've got a good understanding so we just got to do what's right for the horse at the right time and i mean i know you you've just you said that there were there there's no kind of collegiate decision being finally made but it, there, there was that possibility of coming to kempton on boxing day mooted a few weeks ago is that is that completely off the menu or is that still in the mix at least and they're very much up in the air. I mean, I suppose what's um, just slightly made us think about this is, you know, the weather and everything else. And there are, some, I mean, as you've seen from what he's won already this season in France, there's some very, very big days ahead there. And it may be that he gets aimed for the French champion hurdle later on in the year. So we're just still very much up in the air. We'll, we'll do what's right, but I'm sure we will see him on the English fairly soon well not fairly soon we will do at some stage in the future yes Tom George there and let's hope we see Ile Francais this side of the channel before too long now the major international story that broke just before the weekend so not quite in time for our Friday edition was that Jason Service the man who famously trained maximum security the horse who was first past the post in the 2019 Kentucky Derby and who won the inaugural edition of the $20 million Saudi Cup pleaded guilty for his role in acquiring, distributing and directing others to administer performance enhancing drugs to racehorses. They had previously said, the prosecutors, that service had doped virtually all the horses under his control, including maximum security. 
US Attorney Damian Williams said services conduct represents corruption at the highest levels of the racehorse industry. On my racing TV programme Luck on Sunday yesterday, I spoke with leading American journalist Alicia Hughes, who's been covering this case since its inception. And she had strong words. Service was, you know, he was, you know, he's part of that large group that had been indicted on on the conspiracy to misbrand and, you know, adulterate performance enhancing drugs. He was basically the last d- defendant um, facing charges in that scheme. And so now I believe 21 of the 40 of the 31 have pleaded guilty. And he was actually scheduled to go to trial um, next month if he, you know, if he didn't take the plea deal, plea deal where he would have been facing, I believe, up to about 25 years uh, in prison. So this one, you know, by doing the guilty admission, like I said, he's facing up to four years. I believe his sentencing, his sentencing is actually going to take place um, on what I think is Preakness Day, uh, May 18th. So that should be interesting. And basically, he admitted to, you know, using the SGF 1000 drug that, you know, is believed to be a a performance enhancing drug. He admitted to, you know, I said conspiring. He and and Jorge Navarro, Navarro, who himself is already serving the five year sentence. And quite frankly, it's a it's really disgusting, to put it mildly. And I mean, we all know that that's kind of obvious. But, you know, the fact that, you know, I want to say first and foremost, one of the things I'm most grateful for in this case is, is that maximum security is actually alive. I'm grateful that he is alive. I'm grateful that horses like Chantelot and Sharp Azteca are alive because not everybody made it out alive. XY Jet did not make it out alive in this case. So, you know, it's he's so yeah he's facing some jail time it could have been a lot more it probably should be a lot more but that's basically how we kind of arrived to to this point but he had been like i said he had been holding out on his guilty plea for you know for some time now and he was kind of the last domino to fall you make a very interesting point about the welfare of the horses involved and the extent to which these designer performance enhancing drugs are inherently dangerous and placing horses under serious physical stress. Has this case told us a lot more about that and, and, and given us a bit more um, evidence on a, on, a, on a global scale in that sense? Um, I mean, it's yes and no. I mean, I obviously, you know, I think everybody has kind of believed, especially with, as it pertains to Navarro and service, there had been whispers about those two um, for some time. And you know as well as I do, if you walk a backstretch for any length of time, you're going to find out what's up. And those two had very, the rumors were very strong and it wasn't in, it, there's a difference between what you know and what you can prove, which is why it, it's, it took to this point, it took the feds getting involved, it took wiretaps to get the evidence needed to bring charges against everybody involved in this case. But what I find really, what is really concerning is the fact that, you know, there, there is a lot of people who failed, a lot of humans who failed these horses across the board. There were some very obvious red flags with both of these trainers with regards to the numbers that they were putting up. And I actually pulled some figures um, just so you have, an, I mean, for 2014, just at Monmouth, we're just looking at Monmouth Park, Navarro was winning at 27%, service 29, 2015, Navarro 26, service 25, 2000, I'm sorry, that was 2015. 2016, Navarro, 37%, service, 34%. 2017, Navarro, 41%, service, 31%. 2018, Navarro, 45%, service, 41 For comparison's sake, just so that anybody doesn't think, well, those are the winning 
figures of top trainers at meets for comparison's sake, look at the winning percentages of Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown, who I think most people agree get the best of the best stock. They have 11 Eclipse Awards between them. Their win percentages at Saratoga, probably the most competitive meet in the country, 2016, Chad 24, Todd 21. 2017, Chad 24, Todd 24. 2018, Chad 27, Todd 15. 2019, Chad 23, Todd 18. 2020, Chad 19, Todd 23. So you're telling me, if you're looking at these numbers of what Navarro and Service were doing, specifically just at Monmouth, anybody who claims that they didn't know or that is either lying or was willfully ignorant. And there needs to be some culpability from, from the top down. Leading US racing journalist Alicia Hughes on the disturbing case of Jason Service, who has pleaded guilty. Now, tidying up our action from Hong Kong over the weekend, the Group 1 races, the VARs, went to Damian Lane and Takahisa Tezuka with Win Marilyn. It looked a very winnable race, so it proved beat Botanic for Andre Farb and Glory. VARs, Aidan O'Brien Stone Age was a rather one pace and laboured fifth in that race. The Hong Kong Sprint. Great result for Richard Gibson, to whom we spoke before the weekend. Wellington roaring back to form in the hands of Ryan Moore, who also took a Group 2 later in the evening. The Hong Kong Mile, California Spangle, defeated Golden 60. But Vincent Ho, the rider of the runner-up, vowed to avenge that defeat. And Golden 60 went down only by a neck. Annabelle Neesham's Euro import, Laws of Indices, ran a very creditable race in third in that race and the big race the most prestigious race the Longines Hong Kong Cup went the way of Danny Shum and James McDonald who was also crowned the best jockey in the world last week on Romantic Warrior who absolutely bolted up the odds on favourite and took his career record to nine wins from ten starts that's what happened in Hong Kong as far as what is continuing or not continuing in the UK as I speak to you now there is uh, a further inspection at Wolverhampton to determine whether their all-weather fixture can go ahead today because of the snow and freezing conditions. But the meeting at Lingfield does go ahead, uh, but obviously the roads will be fairly treacherous. It's not always a guarantee, Lee Motter said, that all-weather meetings can go ahead. We know that in these conditions, but there was a curious case at Newcastle on Saturday. Yeah, and that, that, that was a highly unusual situation. You had a, a, a position whereby... ITV, having lost its meetings at Cheltenham and Doncaster, revised its schedules, put in place plans to show five races from Newcastle's all-weather fixture, which was uh, called into question only around half an hour before the first race when jockeys and trainers expressed views that the ground wasn't safe. Um, Deputations went out there, stewards looked to the track, they decided it wasn't safe to race. But as you say, the race course itself had believed the track was safe for racing. The meeting was abandoned again yesterday. Um, quotes in the Racing Post today from the Arena Racing Company's uh, director of uh, racing, Mark Spencer, who I thought, again, his his language was interesting. He was very apologetic for all those who's, uh, who had incurred unnecessary expenses on Saturday. But I thought it was interesting. He didn't say that they believed the track, again, was in an insufficiently good condition to race. He said um, further inspection early this morning, this was really going to yesterday's meeting, further inspection early this morning alongside BHA Racecourse Inspector, it shows the track is in the same position 
as yesterday. So not, in their view, necessarily an unraceable situation, but the same as it was on Saturday. Clearly a difficult position, this one. Um, highly unusual, I think, to have a race course expressing a view that a track is fit to race when the participants believe it is not. Ultimately, though, the participants are the ones who are risking their, their, their well-being by going out onto the track. So I think if they're not happy with it, it's very hard to justify racing taking place. So I think the right outcome was reached. But what I would say, Nick, is just shows again how, how precarious a job being clerk of the course can be. Two weeks ago, I was at Newcastle for the Fighting Fifth and jockeys were enormously complimentary, as were trainers to Eloise Crowell, the clerk of the course at Newcastle, having produced a turf race course and racing surface that was suitable for high-class horses like Constitution Hill to race on. I remember seeing Nico de Boinville go past Eloise and congratulate her face-to-face on how good a racing surface she had produced. So it is very much a job of ups and downs and highs and lows, and that's become obvious again over the weekend. Uh, Lee, do you have a tip for me for today? I do, Nick. I am going to uh, Lingfield because as we speak, it's the only guaranteed meeting uh, taking place. I am directing your listeners to the 12-12. It is a uh, six furlong maiden fleas event for two-year-olds. Um, I have to be honest, I have not been poring over the all-weather form in recent weeks, but I know that Roger Varian is in excellent form, 33% strike rates in the last fortnight. He runs a cheaply parked filly, cheaply parked filly, Shikova, in the 12-12. She's hooded for the first time. I'm sure she's better than she showed first time, but she ran at Ascot on a debut, which suggests they think something of her, and I'm tipping Shikova to win the 12-12 at Lingfield, and if you go in there, wrap up warm. Lee, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday, December the 12th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.